morning and uh, welcome to the Science Podcast with me, Mr. Short and Mr. Atkinson. Hi, everyone. Uh, <clears throat> so, we, we, look, we thought we'd look at um, things that science says, so scientists say, but people refuse to believe. And sometimes that's a small section of people and sometimes it's uh, slightly larger. Um, yeah. And part of this is brought about from previous podcasts on what science can't explain and things like that. Uh, and part of it is from the Netflix film don't look up which like most disaster movies starts with a scientist saying something who is disbelieved yeah so a lot of disaster movies start like that so don't look up is on uh, netflix if you want to have a look at that about a meteor coming to earth and people disbelieving the fact that it the devastation that it will cause so we'll stay on the earth um area i guess and uh, we'll start with the first, perhaps, scientific fact that people perhaps still don't believe, that people say that the Earth is flat. Instead of being, like, rugby ball-shaped and a blade spheroid, yeah. people say it's flat. Now, <laughs> why? Where do you begin? Where do you begin? Um, I suppose the way I would begin is to say that I, everybody has the right to believe what they want to believe. And in a free society, I would actually encourage people to believe what they want. However, I would also encourage people to do the research and when we say do the research, that doesn't mean watch a YouTube video yes. or you know, read an, uh, an article in Wikipedia. Yes, you can't randomly pick up a belief and say I believe that. You've got to believe it based on something. Yeah. So the Earth being um, spherical, yeah. round, um, Really is is I mean how why, when did people start to think that the Earth was round and not flat because it obviously it looks flat because you can't see the curvature unless you go up into space. Yeah, that's actually so. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson has been kind of roped into this inadvertently. He he seems to be the guy that people who believe that the Earth is flat pick on. Sometimes they agree with what he says. Sometimes they disagree. So when Tyson comes out and says things like, the Earth looks flat because you can't see the curve because you're too small relative yeah. to the surface and you're not far enough away. You need to be a hundred and so many thousand feet up before you start to see curvature. Now, people who believe the Earth is flat will quote this and say, yeah, Neil deGrasse Tyson says this. So they choose to believe that, but they will flat out deny when he says the Earth is a curve. <coughs> but we have known about this for literally hundreds and hundreds of years. The earliest kind of approximation experiment done on the curvature of the Earth was a guy done by a guy named Eratosthenes. Now Eratosthenes lived in around 200 BC, so we're talking thousands of years ago. And he did an experiment where in, I believe it was Syene or Alexandria, and he looks down a well and at a certain point in the day he notices that he can see all the way down to the bottom. So no shadows. No the shadows. The sun is going straight down straight the well, yeah. So therefore, he deduces, well, at that point the sun must have been directly above him. Yeah. Now if the Earth is a, a sphere of sorts, uh, you mentioned an oblate spheroid, yeah. and that's technically absolutely true. And anything that's oblate is squashed at the poles. Uh, and essentially, I think we mentioned this in a previous podcast, that because the Earth rotates, it, it tends to just send matter out to the side. If you, if you spin round, 
and let your arms you, know, <laughs> you could expand your hand, waist <laughs> but your arms your arms will move out you it's know? your arms because your that's, waist, yes. that's yeah so that's that's what matter does and that's how things work uh, and the earth is no different but it, it's people who describe the shape of the earth will talk about you know it's all it's slightly pear shaped or yeah. rugby ball shaped yeah. and it's obvious you, you, you couldn't see it just by looking at it no. because the difference I think there's only about 25, 26 miles difference between the Earth's circumference at its equator versus right. its Greenwich Meridian. It's only slightly squashed. But yeah, it's barely, you can't notice, it's imperceivable. Right. But uh, that is true. And Eratosthenes thought, well, if I can measure, if I stick something into the ground and measure the angle where I am, the sun can't possibly, if the Earth is curved, it can't possibly create a shadow somewhere else that creates the same angle. And the easiest way to visualise this over an auditory broadcast, take an apple, stick a straw into it, and stick another straw in it somewhere else, and shine a light onto it, you'll see that the shadows are not the same length. So what he then did, using the difference in the angles, if you you kind of imagine where those angles would meet in the centre. That would trigonometry there. Exactly. Yeah. It just gives you an arc yeah. length of what is a 360 degree object. Yeah. So from there you can work out if he knew the distance from him to where he was measuring, then he could figure out the circumference of the Earth. And he did it to something like 15, 10 to 15% yeah. of what we take now. It was amazing. Simple, uh, simple skills there and ideas and maths working out something that's yeah. quite profound. Practical application of maths. Yeah. And it all starts from measuring stuff in science. We always measure stuff to, yep. to prove things. Uh, but also, the they must have had an inkling that the Earth was round from ships coming over the horizon and oh, things, because otherwise you don't get that ship appearing over the horizon in the distance. And this is something that anyone can observe, you know. The, I have looked into this a little bit, and people who believe in this phenomenon they will talk about, you know, when you see a ship in the distance, it disappears. But if you then take a high-powered camera, the, the camera of choice is the P900, I believe. Really? Oh, yes. That's the flat-earth camera of choice. And when you zoom in again, and it will bring the object back from beyond the horizon. That's obviously absolute rubbish. It's not true. The difference is... Because the image is so small, you just can't see it. So it's more to do with resolution and focus. So perhaps, it's, perhaps the, the obviousness that the Earth is spherical perhaps points to the stupidity of people. We shouldn't be surprised when we get vaccine deniers, people who deny the efficacy of vaccines, or global warming deniers, or ozone holders deniers, or smoking causing cancer deniers. We shouldn't be surprised, because that's a whole level of complexity up from the Earth being flat. It's almost like people want to believe... Something different. Yeah, they just want to be different. Which is also strange, because we have a herd mentality. We do like to be together and be collectively in a group, but maybe that's it. So, we started off with probably the oldest scientific uh, idea that was disbelieved and now we'll go on to uh, global warming yeah global yeah, spherical globe warming and let's talk about that for a bit because a lot of people still don't believe in global warming and don't believe it's a real thing I think it's import- uh, significant relevant to mention at this point two established uh, concepts in psychology which are the Dunning-Kruger effect and imposter syndrome. 
Uh, Dunning-Kruger effect essentially is the relation between knowledge on a subject and confidence in your ability in that subject. And what psychology shows, the, the clinical evidence in this is very, very clear, if you have a very limited knowledge of how something works, it creates a false impression of its simplicity. So, for example, yeah. if you <clears throat> look at how, I don't know, uh, global warming, oh, right, there's um, an increase in temperature, oh, that must mean average temperatures are going up, that must be, mean global warming. Well, there's so much more to it. Yeah. And the opposite of the Dunning-Kruger effect is imposter syndrome. And imposter syndrome is very well established within the scientific community. There's a, f a phrase that you know, fools are always certain. Right. You know, because people who do dedicate their lives to something and they study something, they're always trying to prove themselves. They always doubt themselves. They're yeah. always leaving room for, oh, I might be wrong. How could that be wrong? Have I missed anything? Yeah. And that's the exact opposite. So people who know what they're talking about always leave room for doubt. Yeah. Whereas the Dunning-Kruger effect is just ignorance simple is, as that. Ignorance yeah. is strength. Exactly. You know, it's it's <laughs> yes. that simple. How hard can it be? Yes. So for global warming, and a lot of people don't under, understand and appreciate the difference between global uh, by weather and climate. And climates are changing. You know, weather can change yes. daily. But climates, when you look at the patterns, I mean, we are, what, the 23rd of February, and we've had six storms? Oh, yeah, quite a few. Six storms, because yeah. we've just yeah. had Storm Franklin. Yeah. Well, let's, when did you first hear about the term global warming? What's what so, your first recollection of, of thinking, right, something's happening here? I may be, I, I may be wrong here, uh, but I believe the term and the idea of global warming was actually perpetuated by companies who burn fossil fuels in an attempt to identify an issue so that they could blame it on something else and someone else. But it's a relatively recent thing. I might be wrong. I, yeah. I have heard so that. So the Earth needs um, a greenhouse effect. Yeah. Because if we don't have a, atmosphere. an atmosphere, we don't trap any heat and we don't have the temperatures that we have, so we don't have life. No plants. So, so our atmosphere traps heat and that, that is the greenhouse effect. So what yeah. we're talking about is the enhanced greenhouse effect, whereby we are trapping more heat than is escaping and we are generally warming up. And it's difficult to um, measure actual temperature increase because obviously it was warm today a couple of days ago it was freezing yep. so we've got a change in i don't know five degrees or something so to measure an average change is difficult yeah. i'll go back to ottawa where i used to live ottawa has the greatest temperature variation of any capital city right. you get 40 in the summer yeah and you'll get minus 40 in the winter yeah so working out average global temperature changes is obviously phenomenally difficult yeah but actually, it has to repeat yeah so the first indication of global warming that I had was in the 90s. So uh, I saw the Intergovernmental pan Panel of Climate Change in Edinburgh, and I went to a meeting about that with Sir John Horton, who's a Welsh uh, atmospheric physicist. Right. So he was leading the start of the IPCC and setting it up. And all these famous scientists, or well-renowned scientists, were investigating climate change and whether our climate was changing. But the first the first indication that our climate was changing was postulated in the 1800s. 
1800, somebody said we're going to affect our, we could have an effect, a man-made effect, an anthropogenic effect on our climate in the 1800s. It's worth mentioning as well that when we look at global warming, we associate it with extremes in weather and flooding. Yeah. Sea ice is not the significant issue here. And you will hear that distinction because if you think this is a good little scientific experiment that you can do. Oh, yeah, yeah, anywhere. that's right, yeah. Take a glass, put some ice in it, fill it with water right to the brim and just leave it, let it melt. The water will not pour over the side because the ice was in there to begin with. Yeah. Ice is less dense, so it floats. So the volume of water that displaces is actually more in ice form than it is in water. The problem is glacier ice. And Barack Obama was once interviewed. And that'll be just remind us, so the, the Arctic is um, on land and the Antarctic is not land-based. So the Antarctic is floating yeah, ice. I think it's the other way around. It's the other way around. It's the land of the Antarctic. Land mass. Antarctica's got the land mass. And, yeah, so Ant- Antarctica's got the land mass. So if the Arctic melts, then we're not seeing an increase in sea levels. Correct. Yeah. And there might be a minor decrease as well because it's uh, salt water. So there may have, some, some of the water levels might initially lower. Not major. If it was just the Arctic yeah, melting. Yeah, if, if it was just the Arctic melting, yeah. then... That's another great little, ex- a little thought experiment slash experiment. If you're in a boat and you're holding something that floats and you chuck it into the ocean and it sinks, you've actually lowered the level of the ocean. <laughs> because when it's floating, it displaces a volume greater than its own volume. So you, you experiment with the ice in the water. If you, you have the, the ice above, supported above this filled to the brim cup, yep. yeah, then obviously the cup will overflow when, when the ice melts. That's it. So the glacier ice is the problem, and I was just about to mention there, Barack Obama, he did an interview with, I think it was Bear Grylls, and they go to this glacier in America, and he says that at the start of my presidency, the glacier ice was at the level where we are currently standing. And here we are eight years later, and there it is all the way down there. That ice, which was on land, has now melted and flown back into the sea. That's what's causing the global rise in water levels. Yeah. So we've got, but so the evidence. I mean, we talk about 1800s when it first started, and we've got. I mean, all through, scientists will be developing this theory that carbon dioxide enhances um, global temperatures. So man-made carbon dioxide. Where's it coming from? Well, <laughs> it comes from loads of sources, doesn't it? Where's the main source? So I believe. Because the, the easiest, so if you look at the, the, the animal kingdom, uh, there's always that kind of QI question, or what animal releases more CO2 per you know, number of population? Or, you know, uh, because cows get a lot of blame for this. For carbon dioxide? Yeah, I believe. No, um, methane. Is it methane? Yeah, it's is methane. Is it methane? <laughs> right, okay, methane. So... It comes from a variety of I think it's flatulence, so, cow flatulence. Is that what it is? Yeah, it burps. Oh, there we yeah. go. It's the burping of the cows. Cows burp more ethane gas than they flatulate. Oh, well, there you go, both ends of the cow. <laughs> so the termites, I believe, had the greatest contribution to that. But the CO2. There was a quote not too long ago by Greta Thunberg, and I need to tread carefully here because I don't disagree with what she's doing, and I, I do agree with the idea of trying to increase our awareness of what we're doing that throws the the system out of balance but she it was prior to 
Oh, and you mean the ecosystem, I take it? Yeah. That the whole global yeah. ecosystem the, the and all the biomes and yeah. everything, yeah. Right. And I think it was prior to COP26, which obviously was in the UK, and she referred to the UK as the original climate villains. Right. Because we came up with the Industrial Revolution and all this kind of stuff. If we didn't have the Industrial Revolution, you know, what would we not have? We, yeah, we're responsible for the Industrial Revolution. We're responsible for the development of the modern world. We gave the world industry. You're living in a house that we can build because we had the technology to mine materials. Yes, we can't have predicted. Well, the thing is, we could have predicted. Like I say, global warming was first postulated in the 1800s. We've got all these scientists developing it. Uh, 1900, we've got Arrhenius of the Arrhenius equation um, and activation energies talking about if you half carbon dioxide levels, temperatures will go down by five degrees. So we've got all this evidence coming up. We've got some scientists stating that our temperature's gonna go up if we burn more fuels. We've got evidence in cities where people are getting lung disease, dying earlier, smoke. Smoke days in London. In China, where when lockdown first came in and they banned yeah. travel, the cl- you could see, they, they released photographs of the pollution in yeah. major cities before and after, and it cleared up yeah. so well. So we're not, we're not talking about things that are like abstract. We're not talking about something you can't see. Mm-hmm. So even from the 1800s, 1900s, we're talking about the Industrial Revolution, bad air, air pollution, and really suffocating people and animals, organisms, yet still we're driving our cars, still we're polluting our cities. So, you know, it's not, scientists are saying we're we're affecting our planet, yet we're not really doing much about it. We're still driving our cars and flying our planes. Is it the battle between this is what we know and what we're comfortable with and we're not prepared as a nation, as a global population, to change our routines enough? Well, yeah, or maybe we need told to change. Somebody is perhaps thinking, as a voluntary thing, nobody will change. Because if there is a flight to America you want to take it, and you want to go to America, you'll take that flight. But I suppose the next thing is, we obviously know that there's damage to our atmosphere. Um, I suppose the next thing is, what's the worst emitter and contributing factor to global warming? Because... While I'm saying you shouldn't have a flight to America, maybe flights are not the biggest contribution. No, so maybe they... we need a, a, something else that's having the biggest effect. Because if you stop flights, we have no effect on global warming. The entire airline industry per year makes up an average of about two percent of global CO2 emissions. The majority of CO2 emissions are from heating your house and from electricity to your house. Uh, what about shipping? Shipping's quite large, do you think? Presumably, yeah. Yeah. But as a, as a single entity, as a percentage. And it must be, I suppose, in the States and, and warmer countries, um, air conditioning. Yeah, air conditioning takes a lot of energy. So keeping your house warm or keeping your house cool. Mm-hmm. And North America, they're not very... Well, they're better now than they were. But from my experience, there's a culture of, yeah, whatever we need to do to Aye. heat up or cool down, Energy efficiency is not really a thing. In fact, I'll go back to Ottawa. Ottawa had a good, they had about two times as quick a temperature increase than other cities across the world, just due to pollution. Well, there is, because obviously pollution is, it's not great. It's not great for your lungs, not great to breathe in, not very pleasant. In the 70s, rather than global warming, we're interested in global cooling. 
because of the amount of smog that's coming out, the amount of aerosols, there's actually there's an albedo effect where uh, heat gets reflected. Mm-hmm. And the Earth was cooling at one point because of the amount of uh, particles in the atmosphere and the aerosols. And that was from propellants, like CFCs. Oh, like uh, deodorants? And yeah, deodorants and refrigeration. These chemicals were invented which were very unreactive uh, on the, uh, the ground level. Very good for coolants, for keeping our fridges uh, cold and propelling our deodorants and sprays and things. Um, but obviously, as they're released, we're, we're actually finding the Earth is cooling. Now, that leads on to another problem. So we talk about global warming, and a lot of people aren't buying into global warming and saying it's probably just another um, change in the Earth's atmosphere. Because we do have changes in our climate. Oh. The, we've got ice ages, and I don't know, we're currently in another ice age. It's, it's worth stating that technically, this current behaviour of the Earth's temperature on average changing has happened before. It has gone up and it has gone down periodically. But so not as much s- as it is just now. So who's, to s- uh, so who's to say that we're not in the middle of another one? And that's the argument, isn't it? Yes, the argument is it's happened before it's happening again, but the scale of it just now and the fact that it matches carbon dioxide levels so closely and yeah. we're producing so much carbon dioxide uh, is indicative like that we have an effect, yeah. So the propellants, we've got time to, to talk about those. So... The chlorofluorocarbons, unreactive on the ground, when they get up to the upper atmosphere, they destroy the ozone layer. So there's another atmospheric one here in that uh, ozone absorbs UV light and That's stops us getting burned. O3, isn't it? O3, yeah, yeah. So we need some sort of atmosphere. The higher up you go in the atmosphere, the more you're exposed to UV and other um, emissions from the sun, radio, yeah. um, electromagnetic emissions from the sun. So the ozone layer protects us. Pilots have to. <coughs> pilots have a greater absorbed dose per year, yeah. an equivalent dose than people who just work it, at ground level. In fact, yeah. they, I believe, they have a greater equivalent dose than many radiation workers yeah. or people who work in hospital. Yeah, the higher up you go, the more you closer you are to the sun, the less atmosphere you have to protect you, um, and just sheer time of exposure. Yeah. So re- really, so the airlines have those uh, little uh, lanyards as yeah. well that detect the radiation doses. So in their uh, little lanyard on their badge, which then will start changing colour when present in enough radioactive material. Once it goes black, they can't fly anymore that year. They're the grounded. That's it. You've done all your flights for the year. So how come? We, I suppose they don't. They can't cover the cockpit in lead or something, can they? It's too heavy. Yes, too heavy. I mean. They did that. We we're talking about other things that people didn't believe the moon landings, uh, right. because one one argument was well, you look at the protection they had. People don't believe we went to the moon. You look at the protection they had. Very thin pieces of aluminium or gold foil that kill them. Nobody's ever died. Well, that's not true. There have been at least two. Let me get my names right here. Uh, Jack Swaggart of Apollo. Was it thirteen died of? Bone cancer, uh-huh. and Alan Shepard, uh-huh. Apollo 14, died of leukemia, or one of the, or the other way around. Yeah. Though we're seriously exposed yeah. to the sun's radiation without that protection, uh, increase in cataracts yeah. and leukemia, various it cancers. Just, it was a risk going through the Van Allen radiation belts was a risk, yeah. and they simply decided we'll risk it. Yeah. And those are the they would do risk, risk. Yeah, people who like risk, like uh, yeah, pilots and astronauts. Yeah. Um, so I think we began measurements in 1957, began measurements in our atmosphere uh, and measuring the ozone layer, and we saw trouble in the 70s and 80s with the 
uh, ozone layer appearing, which appeared in the southern hemisphere rather than the northern hemisphere. So the hole over the Antarctic was started was more visible there than in the Arctic because of the it's calmer, I think, down there, and um, you got more reaction, so you got bigger holes. So the Australians, Australians, and New Zealanders, and all the islanders down there were getting more affected by the ozone, the hole in the ozone layer than we were. Uh, I know that cases of skin cancer in Australia are large for that reason. In fact, the guy, Hugh Jackman, the guy who plays Wolverine, he's had several operations to remove tumorous growths. Yeah, so they had a big uh, push, slip, slap, slop, to wear their um, hats to protect themselves and slapping on the the sunscreen to to reduce preventative, to stop all these, these cancers. And you should always look at the percentage absorption on the bottles as well. It's not necessarily the most expensive one or the highest factor that makes the best, that does the, the job the best. You have to look at the percentage absorption. The difference yeah. in the absorption between factor 30 and factor 50, you're talking about a percent if that. Right. So you're more or less, you're just as good going for factor 30. But one of the success stories is these chemicals were used in refrigerants and propellants one of the success stories was stopping their use and phasing them out mm-hmm. and the ozone layer is recovering. Whales were getting sunburned as well. Whales Seriously? Are, yeah, they were coming up to the surface and they were getting sunburned. They could measure that. Which makes sense because they need to breathe. Yeah, they need to breathe, breathe air. So, quite phenomenal. But we still have, we still got hydrofluorocarbons, I think, in use, which are also being phased out now. Um, we're just more aware now, right? Most, yeah, more, more aware. 1987 was the treaty. Um, Good year. Good year. I was here, I was born. (laughs) Yeah, I think I was about leaving school at that point. (laughs) (laughs) Probably do my own levels. Um, Right, so we've we've done quite a bit on the earth, so we better stop there, I think. So that's. We've got um, the earth being spherical, uh, global warming, talked about that, and um, the ozone layer. So. Next, I can't remember what was next, but we'll, we'll move on to smoking next time, I think. Seeing as we've done lung disease, um, yeah, from smog. All right. We'll move on to smoking next. Okay, thanks, thanks very much. much. Thank right. you. Enjoy your day.